0: And now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I know we're all gearing up for the holidays, and I want you to know that if this is a hard time for you, I fucking get it. Remember, my marriage ended on Christmas Eve, so whatever normal holiday angst I had when I was going through my divorce and beyond, I also had the additional trauma <laughs> associated with all of it. So when I say I get it, man, I really get it. Um, and I want to make sure that you're setting yourself up for as much success as you can right now. I want you to make sure that you've got plans for yourself outside of your kids, Right. I know that, you know, all that planning that you're doing to make your kids have the best holiday ever, all of that, right? Do that for yourself as well. Think of yourself as another child who needs taking care of and nurturing this holiday season. Because in many ways, that's what you are. You're in your infancy again. You're relearning how to do all of this. But because you're a grown up, no one else is going to take care of you. So you got to do it. Seriously, don't take this lightly. Don't be the one kid who gets no presents on Christmas because you just didn't think that you were important enough to take care of. So plan your Christmas Eve, your Christmas Day, plan your New Year's. Take care of making sure that you are taken care of for the love of God. You can't give your kids an amazing Christmas if you're feeling down in the dumps and depressed all season. I posted on Instagram and Facebook last week that I was going to write a book called Not Your Fucking Job. And the post was a huge hit. I was actually half joking when I wrote it, but now I really think I'm gonna write this book. <laughs> and the point of the the point that I'm trying to make here is that this Christmas, if you are getting divorced, it's not your fucking job to make sure that your ex or soon-to-be ex has a great Christmas. That is his job now. He's a fucking grown-up, and so are you which means that it is your fucking job to make sure that you have a good Christmas as well as your kids. And you know what? You might be feeling a bit angry right about now. And lucky for you, today I'm bringing you an interview with Adele Theron. And Adele is an author and a trauma and divorce specialist. She's the founder of Naked Recovery, which provides online treatments from PTSD, and she runs an award-winning 21-day divorce recovery program called The Naked Divorce. And today, Adele and I have a great conversation about anger and how powerful an emotion it can be for women to embrace while they're going through their divorce, or really any time for that matter. So, listen up now to hear how your anger might just be your greatest gift this holiday. Adele, welcome welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. I'm so glad you're here and I'm excited to be having this conversation about anger. Right, and all of these emotions that we keep trying to (laughs) shove down, push away, because ew, ouch, gross. Yeah, Um, but that's not, but that's not really healthy, is it? In the end,
1: yeah. I mean, um, my kind of angle in all the work that I do uh, with naked divorce and um, people, you know, helping people kind of heal from divorce is definitely. Um, the emotional angle of things. It's not so much, mm-hmm. you know, there's the business logistical side of divorce, but really what people get so hopped up on is the emotional side. That's what makes mm-hmm. people so incomplete. Yes. And what I find, you got two camps of people. You've got those that um, forgive too quickly and kind of just like sail on through and, you know, oh, everything's wonderful and brilliant. We're getting on great. And and then underneath they like seething because they haven't actually forgiven. They've, they have just sort of ah. said that and did it quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those that hold on for dear life and think forgiveness is some sort of prize that no one has deserved and um, get super re- resentful, anger and bitter. So the really the, the goal for everybody um, in going through this kind of shame-based trauma, which is really what divorce is, Mm-hmm. is to get to that place of genuine forgiveness where you've just genuinely moved on and like let everything go, um, where you can see the the kind of lessons, the learnings and stuff, and really anger, to your point initially, such an important emotion to embrace, to make all that happen. Yeah.
0: Can you talk a little bit about what you just said about shame-based trauma? Because you're a trauma specialist, and I think yeah. this is a really... Um important topic that and I, and I find it interesting that there's a label of shame-based trauma. So can mm. you talk about that a little bit and what that means?
1: Yeah, so to as the a, lay person no worry. so as a as a trauma therapist, uh, you know I work in other areas of trauma. I mean divorce, I really kind of gravitated towards divorce um specifically because i I just felt that this was such a an interesting trauma that is so misunderstood and misrepresented globally. Um, mm. You know, in in classic bereavement, um, you know, if somebody dies, uh, which is obviously right. very sad and very, you know, um, awful and all that stuff, there's no shame attached to it. It's just, right. a. Re- it's, it's kind of really sad and awful. But, you know, all your friends and family rally around with all the casserole dishes and they're very, very, you know, supportive and helpful and everything's very sad. Whereas with divorce, it's totally different. Divorce is actually seen as a failure of what you're supposed to get right, which is the relationship part. You're supposed to have a successful relationship. That's what we're, you know, get married. You're supposed to get married until you die. um, And that's considered successful relationship. And Mm -hmm. if you somehow, for whatever reason, this thing hasn't worked out, there's a lot of shame attached to that. So in the healing journey, um, it's the same, it's, it's going to sound really bizarre, but treating divorce trauma is the same as when we treat people that are diagnosed with HIV. It's a label, it's a label, it's a label that you wear that you didn't want that feels like a scarlet letter and it's like you don't want to congregate with other people that are with it. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to stand up and go, this is me, I'm, I've been divorced. You know, like it's something that we kind of shun and and feel like a failure that it happened, and right. and this makes it so difficult to get over because not like for some people it's not just the heartbreak and the and the sadness and the transition that they have to go through at the end of the relationship. It's the lack of support, understanding, compassion, empathy in the community. It's huge. Yes, huge, it, it, and it is that is. I, I agree with you
0: wholeheartedly. Having gone through this, the the level of shame and the, uh, and what you butt up against mm-hmm. in your community because everyone's having their own reaction to it based on their own current experiences anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got people who, you know, are thought that your marriage was perfect. Um, not that anyone in my case thought. Mine. Marriage was perfect, but um, but you know, it, many people have that right because they were sh- only showing one thing, right? Yes. And so there's um, there's people who have been comparing themselves to you all of this time, or you know, you sort of uh, stack yourself on the you know marriage meter based on what you see of other people, right? You're comparing the insides of your marriage to the outsides of everybody else's marriage, and mm-hmm. when someone who's outside you thought was amazing. Falls, it scares the shit out of you, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) People have, people have all of these reactions to it. And I think that, um, and that, I think that's so much part of it, right. Is that people and people don't realize that the reactions that people are having are so much about their own experience. There's so much about their own shame and their own, um, fears.
1: Yeah. Fear is a big one. And it, you know, and it's, it's kind of, what it requires to heal from divorce is is not only an intense amount of compassion understanding, you know, for yourself so that you can melt the guilt and the shame and stuff that goes associated with that, but also real compassion and understanding that everyone around you doesn't have a clue. You've almost got to <laughs> hand you've almost got to like imagine in your brain there's this weirdness business card you're just handing it out to everyone around you. Cause you're just mm-hmm. like, wow, you guys just need a pass for being so weird right now because you know you're saying the wrong things. You're telling me all this like rubbish about there's lots of fish in the sea You're, you know, oh. you're, you're, I've been divorced about 26 minutes and you're already, you know, offering to set me up with Dave. Like I don't want to get set up with Dave. You know, like there's just this, um, people behave a bit oddly. Um, and was strange. Like when I was going through um, my divorce, like people would just come out of the woodwork and tell me how happy their marriage was. Oh my God. <laughs> and I'd be like, Oh my wow, God, that's awesome. Well done. So happy for you. Wow. Like, and I just think, why are you telling me this? Um, if I, if, if my partner had died, like you would never do that. Um, but somehow with divorce, because it's associated with the failure of a relationship, people come out and say the weirdest things. So, Mm. You have to have so, you've got to rise above all of this stuff and really, in a way, be cool with being the black sheep of yeah. the community, the family or whatever, cause, so that you just like relax and, and can heal. Um,
0: and that's so hard when, I know for, you know, I had this experience, I've talked about it probably a few times on the podcast, where when I ended my divorce, it blew up um, the friendship with my two best friends of 20 years. Definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. and you know, cool. one of them never recovered and it's, it, you know, it's, it's hard to, to think that you're going to have to resign yourself with, to being the black sheep, mm. um, of the community when what you need is support more than Absolutely. anything. Mm. And it's, it's, what I found was that the loss of my marriage only sort of revealed other losses or became sort of the roadmap for all these other losses.
1: Yes. Uh, and that was so painful. Yes. And really the reason that happens is um, I kind of see it that that there are different kinds of people out there who, mm-hmm. you know, some some have been through a lot and they can handle a lotness They can handle a lotness with themselves. They can handle a lotness over there with you. So you going through a trauma doesn't change or displace anything with themselves. Whereas for other people, they don't have a lot of experience with that kind of, uh, oh my gosh, a lot is happening. So what happens is the way their world makes sense for them is they have little boxes that everybody belongs to. And you getting divorced, you actually step out of the box that they allocated for you. Yes. And, and this now means their life no longer makes sense in a particular way. So yep. they're now weird because you and Gavin have split up. You and Gavin were in a box. What are we supposed to do with the boxes? The boxes are not supposed to be apart now. Ugh, I don't know what to do with you. And then you get yeah. weird things where people go, I don't know if I can invite you to the dinner party. We have seating for 12. We can't do uh-huh. 11. Uh-huh. Eleven yeah. just doesn't make sense, and and when you hear stuff like that, just in your brain, you just go, "Oh my gosh!" Here's your weirdness pass, because that was the weirdest thing you ever said to me, you weirdo. <laughs> right. it just lacks so much compassion It lacks so much empathy. It is, and it's this kind of arbitrary stuff. Like you just hear it all the time. I, you know, I, I just wish I had recorded everything people said to me post-divorce where I just like was shaking my head just thinking wow
0: wow yeah right it is it's a lot of wow and it's and it's wow along with like oh holy shit like I needed you like this was the time for you not to be weird this was the time for you to show up (laughs) right exactly
1: exactly and not say unsupportive things and not kind of project your own fears and concerns and weirdness onto me. Um, right. But the thing is, what's that, that is what makes, and it, you know it's tricky to say that because, of course, like in working in traumatic bereavement as well, like, of course, there's certain deaths that are very, very sad. And I, you know, work closely with clients on that stuff. And I honestly, in all my 15, 20 years working in this space, like, I, I think divorce is one of the toughest traumas to get over. Mm. Because it's those layers. It's not just the actual heartbreak and the ending of that relationship. It's the unbelievable weirdness of your community,
0: outrage yes. from the
1: community, sadness from the community. You know, and and it's that kind of build up where people are like, "Wow, I've got to now declare to people that Gavin and I have split up," and and then it's like then they react really badly. So now now you instead of them being compassionate to you and saying, "Oh, I'm so sorry, you guys have split up." you've got to actually console them because you stepped out of the box that you were supposed to be in. It's just insane. Yes.
0: It's exhausting. And it, and it, and it sort of creates all of these other emotions, right? All of these other, these additional layers of feeling (laughs) and emotions that I, I know I did
1: not anticipate. No, I had no idea how hard it was going to be personally, and I can so relate to and empathise with all of my clients, as I'm sure you do, with with the bizarreness of it, and it's mm-hmm. shocking. Exactly to your yeah. point, the, the you know the mo- the time when you actually need your closest people, they just they turn super weird. Yeah, um, I love that you call it <laughs> weird because it is. It's just well, I mean, it's how else do you call it?
0: You I, know. I mean, I can exactly. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I just think it's hilarious because it is. It's fucking weird. Yeah, it's so weird.
1: <laughs> There's really no other. You know, you're best. supposed to be pulled aside in school and explain that when sad things happen, you're supposed to be cool and just be there for the person. But somehow, yeah. in a shame based trauma, that doesn't happen. No, exactly. So that's
0: really the definition of a shame based trauma. It's like trauma. Plus, on, plus. On t- plus, right. Plus shame and and being outcast and and yes. and losing your footing and your standing totally. in society, right? Yeah. Really. We came so we came to talking about the shame the shame-based trauma, which I just, I just think is I, I kind of want to dig into the trauma a little bit more before mm. we go into sort of the feelings and the anger. I mean I mean, let's talk about the relationship between anger and trauma, actually. Because mm-hmm. I do think there is a close, closely knit. Relationship. Yeah. Can you, do you want to, do you want to sure. take
1: that? <laughs> sure. So, so really, when you, um, when you experience uh, a trauma, it actually um, produces what they call a, a complete cognitive dissonance. It's, it's like a total shift in who you are for yourself. So, it's how you re- even relate to yourself. Um, And the more trauma you've experienced in your life, the deeper that will be ingrained and you will have multiple shifts of who you are for yourself along your pathway. And people that have had a lot of that, they're the awesome ones that don't turn weird when other people have trauma. They can actually handle it because they, they've been there. Um, Yeah. You know, and I think um, the blessed souls that have experienced lots of trauma that can actually be there for others. Like that is their journey. And that is their purpose in being here: is to help others navigate that path when everyone else has turned weird. So I think um, that's kind of the first thing I want to say about it. But it's it's it really it, it changes something within your brain. There's actually when you go through a shocking event, first thing that happens: your amygdala and your brain takes over. Mm-hmm. That's the alarm system, the panicking secretary freaks out and then you know it's like alarm alarm something terrible has just happened mm-hmm. and that makes your body dump out tons of adrenaline or adrenaline and the minute that goes up your cortisol level go up that mm-hmm. then shuts down the thinking part of your brain called the hippocampus so you're actually not you when you're going through a trauma you actually lose yourself a bit you don't think straight that's why people have memory loss they lack concentration, they lose themselves a little bit and they feel hijacked by their emotions because you literally have been hijacked by your emotions. You're in survival. And your brain in that part of of the journey is really just designed to fight, flee or freeze. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what's critical is when that has happened, there's so much chemistry going on. There's so much embedded chemistry in your body that healing, Cannot just be a cognitive process. It cannot just be about thinking about it. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You exactly. Can't just talk about it. You can't just think about it. You actually, it has to be a totally holistic journey. You've got to look absolutely. At nutrition. You have to look at you know emotions. You have to look at your physical kind of um, state and everything. Every you have to basically have everything um, examined and look at everything to kind of get through the healing. Yes.
0: And so this is not about, you know, uh, you know, God love us all, right. This isn't just about listening to podcasts and, you know, reading the books and it's actually getting into your body and doing the healing work. Correct. It's like really intense, deep healing work.
1: Yeah. And this is very confronting for many people because it sounds firstly, for anyone who's slightly scientific or engineering based or logical, all mm-hmm. this stuff will sound super woo-woo. They'll be like, yes. whoa, you know, wowsers. I'm not, I'm not into that. I'll read a book. And what, what you're trying to do in that space is to keep this whole healing thing at arm's length, mm-hmm. sort of engage with it at a very, very distant level where you read some material and, you, and you're like, huh, isn't that
0: interesting? And I totally get it. I totally do that thing. Ah, yes, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, like keep intellectual understanding, yeah. right? And then, uh, and I and I've seen this so many. I've seen this time and time again. People go, "Oh, I get it. I do this thing." And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not that's awareness, which is which is great. Um, but now you actually have to do the work on the thing. Correct, <laughs> right? You didn't do the work by by having the awareness of it. That's Correct. not what that is.
1: Yeah. Now, the big thing is when you experience a shame-based trauma, um, you know, the shame and embarrassment and the kind of those feelings, what it makes you do is reject engaging with the topic at all. So one of the most dangerous aspects of divorce trauma is people avoid healing from it because they avoid engaging with it. It is a it is trauma that has that is rife with what we call short, short-term emotion avoidance tactics. Mm-hmm. People will do anything and everything to avoid thinking about the trauma because they don't like being associated with the ickiness of it. It's like, let's not talk about it. Let's just go and shop or let's just go clubbing or let's just mm-hmm. start dating Bob because anything to just shut everyone up to just not talk about my divorce. And what it also does is it makes people rush into the next relationship and be claimed by the next person as fast as possible so that they can just lose that label of being divorced.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Can we say that louder for everyone in the back? (laughs) Because I see it time and time again. And of course, you know, and I did it. Like I dated right out of my divorce. I mean, I hadn't had sex in years, And I was, you know, in my sexual prime and I was like raring to go. Right. And I was like out. And there's one, there's a difference between dating and Mm -hmm. having fun and like getting your confidence back and being out there in the process. And then there's a difference between that and diving into another relationship and thinking that that is healing you and that that is like solving all the problems uh, that came up, you know, during the demise of your marriage. And that, that's, that is so I mean, it's, I was going to say dangerous, but it's, but it is an avoidance because the bottom line is that relationship will probably crash and burn. And you're going to be left with all the same shit with a few more layers on top of it. Yes. Added to it from this other relationship that was probably a mirror. Ultimately. Well, it's just,
1: it's just a veneer. It's like, you know, just tons and tons of icing on a mud pie. Mm-hmm. And, and really, mm-hmm. you know, like what, what you really need to do is to stop all the avoidance tactics, stop all the avoidance of the whole topic altogether and kind of go and stick, stick your nose in all of it. Face it, deal with it. Yes. And, and really what you need, this is the beauty of anger. Anger is such an important and cleansing emotion because what it does is it can blast through all of that noise and all of that, kind of i don't know icky emotions is it's like it gives you passion again it gives you enthusiasm again it cuts through deadness it cuts through resignation it cuts through it's like a laser it just cuts through all of that nonsense and -hmm. gets you right back to wow this is the violation this is the sadness this is actually what i'm so freaking mad about this is what didn't happen yeah. This is, this is how I really feel about stuff. And this is why I'm me and you're you. And it just anger is such an, it's a misunderstood emotion. And a lot of psychologists are terrified of it because mm. anger management in today's society is really just synonymous with project managing, not feeling anger. Yes.
0: Yes, and not right because because don't express it because right anger management is really anger suppression.
1: Correct, and and and, that's, and a lot of people are terrified of it because if we actually allowed all these people to feel anger, oh my god, we're going to have all these crazy people running around <laughs> right. ramming people with their shopping trolleys and like carry, you know exacting their road rage on randoms all over the place, and mm-hmm. and it, it's so condescending. Right, Because, no, actually people are, are quite smart. You know, there's there's a rare portion, proportion of the population that are actually proper crazies. You know, that's like right. a slightly <laughs> different populace to the weirdness, the weird ones. Right. This is the crazies. <laughs> right. These are the are crazies. Are, <laughs> <laughs> these are the crazies that are basically running around with baseball bats, like just like nuking people. Mm-hmm. But most people are quite sensible. Um They're they're kind of most people actually avoid conflict and will do anything to avoid anger, yeah. Because they think anger is somehow we're taught in our society it's unevolved, it's hysterical, it's um it's not a good emotion. It's a bad one. We've got to avoid it. It's dangerous Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's just nonsense.
0: Um, It's great information, right? You know, I think that you know we also we can look at what's underneath it, right? It's pointing a needle for, uh, to us for a place to look. Yes. It's, it is pointing out that there is something to look at here and what is it and where is it and lift up this, you know, open this cabinet because there's something in here. And I think, you know, a lot of the women that I work with um, and that come to me and that are in my Facebook group are dealing with emotional abuse. And I know that one of the, Hallmarks, if you will, of emotional abuse is that you know, you get, there's the gaslighting, there's the pushing and the pushing and the pushing, and then there's until we explode, and then there's the standing back and going, Wow, you're crazy! or look at you, as my ex used to say to me, Look at you, angry girl, right? And so, in emotionally abusive situations, there is uh, there's shame around anger, yes, because we have very often been pushed to our breaking point. And then once we've broken, we've been shamed for that. And then we believe that there's something wrong with us for being angry when really we are 100% justified in the anger that we're feeling, (laughs) right? Like there's like a whole shame spiral around anger in emotionally abusive relationships to begin with.
1: Yeah, I mean, people really vilify anger on every level, and it's it's so um, misunderstood. It is a very important emotion for having, uh, restoring self-esteem, setting proper boundaries, mm. restoring self-love, mm. acting uh, acting appropriately when a violation has occurred, mm. restoring passion, getting out of depression mobilizing emotion where you have felt resignation and deadness. It is, it is a real emotion with a lot of vitality movement action um, associated to it. And I think it's really harnessing it in a powerful way, which is, which is something I'm incredibly passionate about and teach people to do. And it's something that is so misunderstood everywhere. People, you know, most psychologists avoid it completely. Mm -hmm. it's just like oh don't want to go there because we're somehow going to um if we unleash that pandora's box we will not know how to shut this person up later and it's going to be really dangerous Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's just
0: nonsense and so how how do you recommend that people work with their anger let's say you know women who are listening right now are fucking angry Mm. and they're going okay okay i'm fucking
1: angry Mm -hmm. what well, what do the, you do with that? the first thing I'm a massive fan of what we call catharsis therapy. So mm-hmm. I think when you just talk about an emotion, you know, that's about as useful as, as, you know, uh, you know, sitting in therapy for two years and just talking about stuff like right. it really doesn't actually add anything because you're only really looking at things from a cognitive angle. Right. I think before you actually try and unpack what am I angry about? How do I feel about this? What is the violation? All that stuff. You should actually just have an expression, an experience of anger in a very cathartic mm-hmm. way. And what that looks like is, you know, um, I run something called a tantrum club where people just go absolutely ballistic and break and kill and smash all sorts of yes. stuff. For like an hour and you've got other things called break room and rage rooms. Yeah, rage rooms. You know, you just get in the room, baseball bat, gloves, goggles and beat the living shit out of stuff. You know, and it's actually quite healthy because even though you're losing your shit at something, um, nobody's getting hurt in the process. There's nothing, Mm -hmm. you know, unethical Mm -hmm. happening. It's contained. Totally
0: controlled. It's controlled. It's contained. It's safe. You're safety yeah. goggles. You're That's right. you know, fully padded. Absolutely. I'm a big fan.
1: Yeah. Big definitely. Fan. Yeah. And I think um, really what, when we were working um, in the trauma service in uh, Berkshire in the UK, mm-hmm. we would get people, we would sort of have controls where we would see, okay, well, one group of people that like, they'll sort of bash things, and then we talk to them about anger they were so much more coherent than the people Mm -hmm. that were just all sitting in a room just talking about their anger but never feeling it. So actually what we found um, in weeks and weeks of observing uh, the different controls and experiments and stuff was just actually, you know what, people who have expressed their anger before talking about what actually made them angry, what the triggers were and what happened, were just doing – they would shortcut something they would leap mm. forward in something because it was almost, there's nothing wrong with feeling the emotion. I just had the emotion and this is actually having felt it. This is why. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that. That the the first thing you do is fully express it. Yes. Then we can analyze it.
1: Yeah. And the critical thing is there must be an ethical component to it. Like you yes. don't, you don't, process your anger at someone else that's not healthy because that actually creates damage yeah there's, there's going to be you know all sorts of impact on someone else there that isn't necessarily healthy or ethical so you mm-hmm. have to kind of find ways to express your anger in a contained way um, that doesn't harm or hurt anyone else or create impacts not of your choosing The next thing that's really critical to get is that there is no dial for an emotion. Hmm. These, I don't know, there's some sort of motivational speaking people would run around and go, be happy, be, you know, don't think about unhappy things, think about happy things.
0: Ugh, it just really pisses me crazy. Me off.
1: It pisses really, me off. It really, really pisses me off because yes, when you're raging and super furious, and someone's telling you to calm the fuck down, mm-hmm. there's nothing that's going to get you more annoyed and not calm right, down exactly. than someone telling you to calm down. Like it's just exactly, it really exactly. doesn't work. <laughs> and there is no dial. <laughs> You can't, I'll lose my shit double on you. You <laughs> Don't can't be calm dial down um, sadness and depression and stuff and just turn mm-hmm. up the happiness volume. There is no dial on an emotion. Yeah. In mm-hmm. fact, if you suppress one emotion, you suppress them all. Yeah. So by dialing down your happiness, you dial down sadness, you dial down depression, you dial down resignation, but you dial down joy at the same time. You dial down happiness at the same time. And anyone who's ever been on antidepressants will tell you that numbness and void of feeling anything hmm. is some of the most dis- like soul-destroying moments you will ever feel in your life. It is absolutely awful
0: yeah it can i mean it can be i'm not a i am I'm definitely an advocate for for medication for people, those who need it and you know, and I'm on them myself and they've you know saved a lot um, of my life and there is that there is there can be there comes a point um where there is that separation there's that um, distance from yourself and the reality and your feelings that that you're sort of you're they're still there but you're kind of looking at them through through glass through very thick glass and for me that's always a time for me that's always a time to pull back for the for me that's actually an indicator that like mm, i might might be on too high a dose or right i might need to like pull back on the medication or no, look
1: hundred percent there's definitely i think yeah. my problem with with antidepressants is not antidepressants themselves Mm-hmm. It is the way that people dish them out. I yeah. think there's very specific antidepressants that work for specific people. Mm-hmm. And if you are feeling completely like void of emotion, numb, dead out of it, spaced out, whatever you've got to check. Like, actually that's not the intention.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Which, which
1: one are you on? You know, like how much, what is your dosage? Like, and the problem is that that the people that dish out antidepressants, they're in the business of risk management. They're trying to avoid any kind of splashback or risk for themselves. So there's not always that real care and careful project management of what you're on, how you're doing, what you're supposed to be feeling so that people can mo- like, modulate the whole vibe around yes. it. Right, absolutely. Because because that kind of feeling of total void of emotion, that's that's really scary. Yeah,
0: that's. But it's not supposed what to do.
1: For. Yeah, what it's supposed to do is take the edge off, so you don't have these absolute highs and lows. Yeah. Um, because when you are feeling super depressed and suicidal, it's really, really, you know, um, important to have some space to kind of heal a little bit before you really feel the, the depth of that emotion again. Um, yes. You you can't dial down one emotion to feel a different one. If you suppress an yes. emotion, you are suppressed, period. So actually, I really like this um, turn of phrase from Khalil Gibran, who wrote The Prophet. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to quote it exactly, but I just always remember like my snapshot of it, which is really that the more sadness carves into your being, the more joy you can later contain. And I really like that idea that actually by embracing the darker emotions and just like feeling them fully, Mm -hmm. we don't have to worry because they're all impermanent at the end of the day. Like it's not like they're going to hang around forever, Mm -hmm. but we just got to kind of remember if they're impermanent, like we'll feel the sadness and darkness and awful emotions now, but later it's going to be filled with something bigger that's happy yeah. and joyful again we're sort of carving
0: out a larger container to be yes. able to hold whatever it is that we choose down the line to exactly. to fill it with
1: exactly and yeah. and anger is a real is a really important carving type emotion it carves mm-hmm. very very deep ridges um that actually it kind of gives you for a lot of people that are super depressed i work with super depressed people as well mm-hmm. and you know we we always begin with behavioral activation just getting them moving again you like right. get, getting them to do some stuff and usually what the 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 thing that happens that restores their sense of self and gets them to bounce back is getting angry ah uh, interesting
0: because the suppression of the anger i can imagine is almost like
1: p- paralyzing the entire nervous system. It does, it really does. So I think it's really yeah. key part of the healing journey, and not to mm-hmm. engage in too much cheap forgiveness, where we just forgive, you know, because we don't we want to avoid conflict and move on as quickly as possible. Um, mm-hmm. But we don't really mean it because we're actually still holding on to dear life. Right <laughs> to, to, to actually genuinely forgive somebody, you actually have to like. Work out what you're angry about. Are you angry with yes. yourself? Are you angry with yep. him? Is there a violation? Like, like what actually happened mm-hmm. there? Um, and to so just yep. get clear on all of that, so that you can let it go.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is what I do in my in my programs uh, with women. Is that I we work on like a deep inventory that that you know allows you to express what you're really fucking pissed about and where you know what what might be your you know personal responsibility what do you need to take responsibility for so that you can actually pull these things apart right you've got to be able to pull apart what what's yours what's and what's just fucking not right because then you can get angry about the stuff that's not yours when it's not wrapped up with what is yours because then it then it gets wrapped up with guilt right? When you're, just, when you're just blaming the other person and getting angry with them, but you know in your heart that there's stuff that you need to take responsibility for, then your anger is wrapped up with guilt and it becomes this sort of duality thing, right? But when you can pull them apart and really separate your anger from your guilt um, or your personal responsibility, right? Taking, taking personal responsibility, I think, absolves you of guilt, Right. It, it, it then it's just, oh, it's it's what I'm responsible for, what I bring to the table. Um, then your anger can be its own island that mm-hmm. you can. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> not sure if I'm sort of expressing that, but but you do want to be able to separate it out so that you can hold that and own it and own your anger yes. in a positive, um, not a positive way, but in a in a
1: productive way, productive manner. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I like the way you said that.
0: Is that then you can, you can forgive when you have pulled these pieces apart.
1: Yes. If you so
0: choose. And by the way, you know, the other thing about, about forgiveness is that we consider it this thing that, that sort of like a mandate, like we have to forgive people, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how you feel about this Adele, but particularly think you have to forgive everybody, (laughs) everything, you know, Um, there are certain people that do things that are not forgivable and, you know, you're allowed to not forgive them if, if that is a powerful choice for you. Right. How do you feel about that?
1: I think it's all around how you describe and define forgiveness. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, um, a lot of people that I work with, um, they have a slight misunderstanding around forgiveness. It's almost like this, this special thing that you award to someone who has earned it. Mm-hmm. And only if, you, um, if you've done something really bad, you need to make reparations, call over broken glass and do all sorts of stuff. And when you've earned it and done enough, then we will grant you and give you this, this forgiveness and give you this little present called forgiveness. So this is why if somebody has been wronged and they, they find it very hard to forgive because they kind of like, well, you don't deserve this present. If I give you this present, I'm weak because I've given in, I've Mm -hmm. given you this thing you didn't deserve. You didn't crawl over enough broken glass to get it. So actually I'm going to hold onto it and not forgive. And they've misunderstood the entire distinction as far as I'm concerned. So, Sure. Forgiveness actually has nothing to do with the other person. From my perspective, forgiveness has everything to do with your own suffering mm-hmm. and holding on to resignation and, and anger, which actually is basically the equivalent of you taking poison, hoping someone mm-hmm. else will die. Mm-hmm. So, so you're kind of hurting yourself because you don't release yourself from that prison and torture and suffering because you've misunderstood that this thing is somehow like a present that you're going to give to someone who doesn't deserve it. So forgiveness for me is very much, um, it's about releasing yourself from that prison and the resentment and the irritation and the sadness around it. It's not condoning what someone did. It's not saying what you did was cool. All you're saying is like what you did, I don't agree with it. I don't like, you know, I don't condone it, but I get it it happened. It is what it is. Yeah. So it's interesting. Cause I guess
0: I, you know, I also have a, I guess a different, uh, you know, I sort of feel that that, I mean, I agree with you a hundred percent. Right. But I also wouldn't necessarily call it forgiveness. like, I would also call it just sort of my own process, right. Whatever the word is, right. That, that I'm processing something for myself to the degree to which I can become I can come at it from a neutral perspective, right? It no longer has heat for me. I no longer, like my heart doesn't race when I think about it. I no longer have sort of like a somatic experience when I think about it. I no longer resent the the person because as you said, having carrying a resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It, you know, and so it's, it's, for me, it's coming to a place of neutrality within myself. Now is that, forgiveness i don't know right for my for me i don't know that that's forgiveness for me that's processing agreed. the experience and taking ownership of it for myself so that it no longer controls my life and i think that that could
1: then lead to forgiveness agreed right i i pretty much would define it the same way i think what you were talking yeah. about 100% i think that's called processing yeah um forgiveness is really like releasing yourself from that prison and torture of holding yeah. on to stuff, mm-hmm. resentment um, and kind of suffering to not release yourself from something. Yeah. Um, and I, and I really think that is destructive. That's it's very aging actually. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Like I used to play this, is. this strange game where I would walk into a bar and I'd pretty much be able to clock within I don't know, five or six minutes. Who are all the divorced people in the room? Oh. <laughs> and it's the weirdest game, right? Because you look at people and you're like, wow, they look really, th- th- these people are all divorced. <laughs> and then and then they're like, well, how did you know that? And and then we'd find out, yeah, wow, it was spot on. How did you know all these people were divorced? And I said, just, just look divorced. And I'm like, well, what does that even, what does the divorce look look like? And I'm like, it's yeah. angry, bitter, and resentful. Yeah. And yeah. at that stage, I mean, this is many years ago. There's many happily divorced people today who are processing things and being more involved. And they're not angry and resentful. Not they're, once you and I are done with them. Exactly, <laughs> but, but that used to be a massive thing. Like everyone who was divorced just looked a little bit peaky, totally, bit angry, yeah. a little bit like, yeah. and I just yes. think that it, that kind of stuff is very aging. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. And I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit vain. I'm like, I don't want to look old. I'm going to get over this shit so that I look really great.
0: I'm, I'm fucking very vain. I'm going to come out and say it right now. I am very vain. You say to me, like, "I'm you're going to be prettier if you do this. Okay. Okay. What do I need to do? Exactly. Yeah, it's cheaper than Botox. Well, yeah, maybe, it's not. Let maybe that, it's
1: not, who knows? Just got to let that shit go. So you can Absolutely. just like be happy. And people are like, wow, are you divorced. I would never have said. And it's like, yep. Awesome. Yep. Biggest yes, exactly. Ever.
0: Not holding on to shit. I don't mm-hmm. have the weight of the world and all of the resentments and all of the poison in my veins. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, this is so great. Adele, tell us where people can find you. And if you have any parting words of wisdom, um, let let us know.
1: Yeah, so um, I I have several websites and stuff. So obviously I work in other traumas and I do that through Naked Recovery. But my divorce program is on nakeddivorce.com. Um,
0: great. Everything will be in the show notes, by the way, as always. Brilliant.
1: brilliant. But yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of, like, you know, I also run uh, podcasts and webinars and that kind of stuff so people can come and get some data and information and stuff, just like yourself. You know, I, mm-hmm. I really believe that that um, we've got to change the space of divorce. And um, yes, it's just a negative space full of shame and people don't like talking about it. And I just want to kind of blow this shit up because. Um, it shouldn't be something that people are cowering and running away from. We should really discuss it and and make it okay for people. Um, yeah. Not like run around and encourage people to get divorced, but if it's happened, don't um, crumble under the weight of it. Rise, mm-hmm. heal, recover, yes. move on. You You know, it can be a chapter in your life story rather than defining your life story. Thank you. Absolutely. Amen to
0: that. Amen to that. Adele, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today and having this awesome conversation. Um, I really right. think that we've, we've talked about some really important stuff and uh, I look forward to just
1: being in communication and more. Yeah. And more collaboration. Absolutely. And, you know, thanks for having such a great podcast and um, having me on your show. And, yeah, it was fun. Um, Good. Keep, keep, you know, both of us, I think it's, it's awesome to collaborate with people that have, you know, the same vibes about it, because I really think it's going to take a community of us to really shift the space of divorce so that it isn't such a negative, awful weight for people to carry. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more.
0: I could not agree more. Fab. Yep.
1: Yay. Great. Right. Thank you very much for having me on the show.
0: Thanks, Adele. So love it. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.